Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. Your final score was seven, and losing to 45. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> Is that like one of the highest scores ever? Because usually it is just a one-point system. Yes, it, that is probably the highest score wow. on record. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the heart. Oh, hi, Mark. They call me Mr. Tibbs. supposed to blow the bloody doors off well good movies hello and welcome to well good movies the podcast that asks which are the movies well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time i'm your host david osger and i'm joined by my co-host someone who is as theatrical as a radio but as grumpy as a vacuum cleaner it's craig mcdonald hello craig yep <laughs> You just can't, can't deny it. <laughs> uh, like, Come on, you got to admit, you watched this film and thought, that is me. That, no, <laughs> that I expression. <laughs> I, to be honest, I probably I probably related a little bit more to like the like the air conditioning unit at the beginning, purely because it just blew itself up. Well, yeah, that, that that's an entire discussion in itself. So we'll get to it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so, yeah, Craig... This is a special episode, not so much actually like this specific one in terms of like number or anything like that, but it is the moment in which we're announcing that we are approaching our 100th episode. How crazy is that? Yeah, I know. I'm surprised I haven't killed you by this point. I was going to joke that I was just like, oh, Craig, we've done like almost 100 episodes together. How have you not killed me? But then it's like, well, you knew me for like 10, 15, 20 years or whatever before, before doing the podcast as well. Yeah, but that was like, not really that much in a working capacity, right? Everything we try to work to work on together sort of failed one way or another. So I think the degree to which the prolonged working together is probably worth commenting on. True, true, yeah. So that 100th episode will be quite the milestone just for like this, the test of our, our friendship. So congratulations. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, or, or commiserations, depending on the perspective. <laughs> it'll just be the 100th episode, which would be my funeral. So... Yeah, we're getting ready now for this 100th episode and we thought it'd be a great time to kind of have a countdown to 100 by having the odd special episode in which we go out of our usual run of episodes in which kind of each film links to the next one to discuss some films that have been mentioned before or have been on our radar and we just have to discuss these uh, just because they've been brought up so many times or they've been mentioned in challenges etc in the past and today's film is one of those films maybe not so much for the audience they would understand the context of this one uh, but definitely for me and Craig it's been one that uh, we've discussed for a long time. So to add a little bit of context before when we were celebrating having done the podcast uh, for around a year, I think, uh, then we did a audio commentary for another very dark 80s film, Return to Oz. 
which was kind of a throwback to the original plan of mining craigs which was to do more kind of commentaries and sort of like bonus content and a film which we also recorded a commentary for was the brave little toaster from 1987 or as the version that we watched called it zeli meli toaster Yes, yeah, because we could only find like a Polish copy of the DVD, um, which I should have brought in in the room with me, actually. Uh, I'm sure that'll come up. Basically, we uh, did a commentary on that film, uh, as Craig will often remind me with many things that never see the light of day, which we sometimes record or have done. It is something that's not seen the light of day, as we're hoping to kind of use it as a sort of bit of bonus content. But then time passed and, you know, it it no longer seemed relevant. But we've always wanted to go back to that film. And uh, we even tried to sneak it into our run of films. And this is the only time we've done this, I think, Craig, isn't it, in which we like sort of... Well, Well, we've actively conspired that the film that we chose was actually just the same film. Yes, this is the only time we've done this. And fittingly so, we tried to do it because of the guests that we have today as exactly, well. Exactly. So, you know, there was good reason for it. But yeah, there was, uh, when we give our suggestions, every time me and Craig always have a different film, I think 99% of the time we don't know what the other person's film is. But in that circumstance, we did because we were like, we want this film. And then we got given A Town Called Panic and we still had a wonderful time talking about that crazy, mad film. Anyway, uh, so yeah. This film is something that we've been thinking about for a long time because it's so dark, it's so crazy. It fits with the vibe of things like we've discussed, like uh, Return to Oz, uh, but also many other crazy like 80s, 90s films that we've discussed on this podcast. Also, we thought it was perfect timing, as we've mentioned, because of that certain guest who was joining us a year ago. They are now uh, returning uh, once again. So we're happy to uh, welcome back Dr. Sam Summers, lecturer in animation and co-host over on Disneyversity. Hello, Sam. Hello, guys. It is nice to be back. Yeah, it's been, I'll be honest, a, a hell of a year for me. Uh, I have, like the, I was going to say protagonist in The Brave Little Toaster, but he's almost the antagonist in a way, like the master in The Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> I have, um, you know, packed up and moved across the country from Newcastle to London. Um, so I'm in a different room, as you'll notice, uh, with a slightly different backdrop. Um, not very snazzy at the minute. So what you're looking at, guys, is a big empty white shelf, which is obscuring the shelf with all the DVDs in, because this is a shelf that we're trying to get rid of. So I do have the Brave Little Toaster on DVD. It is an American DVD, but I can't get it to show you because I already got it out and put it back behind that shelf once, and I'm not doing it again. And crucially, it is... Does anyone remember when DVDs used to be, like, the the weren't in widescreen, no matter what ratio the film was in? When DVDs very first started, a lot of them were just in 1.33 ratio because that's what TVs were. So they were cropped on the sides. And my DVD of The Brave Little Toaster is that. So if either of you guys want to talk about anything that happened on the far left or the far right of the frame in this movie, I'm not going to be able to contribute, unfortunately, because I'll have missed it. It's fine. We're not a political podcast. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm glad you added in this movie to that. Yeah, let's not talk about any far left or far right (laughs) political views. Please welcome Um, to the stage, Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Or or anything that happens on the periphery of the Brave Little Toaster. Who knows what they were? You know, I I saw what was in the centre and a lot of it was already horrific enough. Who knows what's on the periphery? We shall talk all about the Brave Little Toaster very soon, but essentially, yes, Sam, we thought you were perfect to discuss this film because you're 
deep in the world of crazy animation, obviously on Disneyversity, as we will talk about later, you have kind of discussed this era of animation in a way. I think last time you were on, you were just coming off of the dark age as well. So we were talking about things like uh, Oliver and Company. So we're taking you back to, to, to the dark age. I don't know if it's begrudgingly or happily or <laughs> somewhere in between. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to journey back to that era of, 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 of well, of animation. On the so, well, a lot of people call the the kind of seventies and eighties the dark age of American animation, and that's something that we adopted on our podcast specifically to talk about Disney's films during that era because not that they were all bad, because many of them are actually hidden gems, but they are darker thematically and kind of have a darker visual palette for the most part, as well as being arguably a bit of a artistic and commercial law point for the studio um and elsewhere in the 80s especially in animation that was kind of the theme like there were a lot of quite dark movies again both visually and um in terms of subject matter and it really i think can be attributed to Disney's main competitor during that time which was Don Bluth who was a former Disney animator and he his first film was The Secret of Nim. Have you guys seen The Secret of Nim? That's that's a real piece of work about um, mice who get experimented on and gain kind of supernatural intelligence and abilities. But it is one of these movies about animal experimentation. It's in a similar space to Watership Down and The Plague Dogs, two British films from the previous decade. Oh, and, The Plague Dogs. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so that's kind of our way into the 1980s. And then, like, Secret of Nim really kicks off the decade in America. And it wasn't a huge hit, but... I think it kind of set the tone because Bluth's next couple of films, American Tale and The Land Before Time, and to a lesser extent, All Dogs Go to Heaven, were massive hits and they were all extremely bleak as well. And then you've got things like The Last Unicorn and a lot of what Ralph Bakshi was doing around then as well. Um, and The Brave Little Toaster is actually visually one of the brighter of those movies, but thematically and in terms of some of the imagery is very dark in its own way and like Don Bluth's films has a strange relationship with the Disney studio as well which I'm sure we'll talk about They're the five spunkiest little characters you've ever met. It's a possibility For years they've been waiting Can you see? Is it him? And waiting. He loved us That's right. For their master to come home We've been dumped, abandoned. We're not going to give up hope. But now their waiting is over. We're going out to find him. What? what? We're going to go out and find the master. Join a brave little toaster and his unusual pals on a magical journey. I'm ready. Through a world of mystery. Light. I see the light. Fantasy. <laughs> Laughter. and adventure. It's an exciting, strange, and fantastic voyage where you'll see scary places. Hey, fellas, look! A whole lot of little creatures. A few odd contraptions. But I can't open a lamp and a shaver. And some devices that are simply remarkable. Yeah! Their five plucky appliances determined to find their master no matter what. Yeah, 
no matter what. Join an inquisitive radio. Well, what does that mean? A bright little lamp. I'm glad we don't have to do this every day. A snuggly blanket. Mm -hmm. A crotchety old vacuum cleaner. You're telling me. And a brave little toaster. Time to go. In a heartwarming story for the entire family. Plug into the adventure of The Brave Little Toaster. We look forward to deep diving into Brave Little Toaster anyway today um, and talking all about that movie with you, Sam. Uh, but first of all, let's get some uh, information about that movie, uh, who was involved in the production of it, and uh, give people a general summary of the story. And of course, later on, we'll have our usual question of whether this deserves the honour of a place in our movie vault, our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So the story on this one, usually I pull these from a few different sources or I look at like good summaries, etc. This one, I was like, I quite like this one. I'm just going to take this one as it is. So I'll credit this person. So thank you, uh, Jonah Falcon <laughs> from IMDb. A group of dated appliances that find themselves stranded in a summer home that their family had just sold decide to Allah the Incredible Journey seek their young eight-year-old master children's film which on the surface is a frivolous fantasy but with a dark subtext of abandonment adolescence and loneliness <laughs> so i thought that kind of like summed things up quite well in terms of like the genres etc yeah there's just one error with the summary they haven't just sold the home they've put it up for sale yeah well i'll consider because typically you don't you don't put a for sale sign in front of a property you've just sold no but considering there was another summary that said when when a young boy and his family don't come um, come home one year to their holiday home, the household appliances get get nervous. And I was just like, but we'll get to that. I'm like, eh, I don't think that was quite what happened, but whatever. <laughs> We're getting bogged down in semantics. Uh, so this film was directed by Jerry Reese uh, and then written also by Jerry Reese, Joe Ranft. Uh, with credit also to Brian uh, McEntee and Thomas M. Dish, who wrote the original novel. The music is by David Newman, editing by Donald W. Ernst, and art direction by Brian McEntee. The cast includes John Lovitz as Radio, Timothy Stack as Lampy, Timothy E. Day as Blanky, Phil Ravenscroft as Kirby, awesome name, <laughs> Deanna Oliver as Toaster, Phil Hartman as Air Conditioner, Wayne Katz as The Master, and Joe Ranf as Elmo St. Peter's and Evil Clown, which I just had to include there because I was like, this just sums up like how crazy this film is that I'm listing characters who are being voiced, which are Toasters and Lamps, and then there's Evil Clown, of course. Yeah, that is uh, The Brave Little Toaster. As we've already alluded to, this was uh, a film that came out during that kind of like dark period uh, for animation and during the 1980s and Sam I guess you were talking there as well about like the theme you also had about like you know films having connections to Disney etc so this is one that kind of like was distributed through Disney I think it said that the Disney did the titles on it but also there's a lot of like Pixar uh, guys who were involved in this film who have like credits etc as well so a lot of people have said that things that happened here are kind of like echoed into like Toy Story and that kind of stuff and when you look at that crew which I was saying about you know Jerry Reese etc you can see that other credits are like Disneyland rides and directors of like you know like shorts and like little like TV projects and stuff like that so it does seem to be within that era in which a lot of people were like coming up in the animation studios and 
this was kind of like a, a random project in, in some ways because it's, you know, the, the film studio, which, you know, I don't know if I've ever recognized from anywhere, uh, which is Hyperion Pictures and the Kushner Lock Company. Would, would you say that's that's an accurate summary, Sam, in terms of like the, the you know, the, the Pixar element of it and the kind of like what it kind of represents in terms of the the era it was out, as you previously said? Yeah, it's kind of a weirdly low-key, important movie in the history of animation. It was almost an incredibly important movie in the history of animation. It was almost a serious milestone. And it all comes down to the story behind its development which involved heavily John Lasseter who would go on to not found Pixar but become a really important figure in Pixar. He was effectively the first animator who worked for Pixar at a time when they were just a computer graphics company and helped to push them into making films of their own and ended up directing Toy Story and some of their other hits and some of their other debacles as well in terms of uh, Cars 2 and just everything that happened to him in 2016 which well, you can Google it if you don't uh, remember. Another theme of this year's podcast is cancelled people. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I have to tell my students every year, like, just look it up, John Lasseter, and everyone, each successive generation forgets. Um, that is, okay, we'll, we'll not dwell on it. But John Lasseter, a really important guy in the history of American animation, and um, he really wanted to, he was just an animator at Disney, a low-level animator, and his big idea was to make a movie where the backgrounds were computer generated, which was then a new technology that had only just been starting to be used in live action films like Tron. And the characters, the primary characters would be hand-drawn animated in the typical Disney style. And he produced a test for this along with Glenn Keane, who would go on to become a really legendary Disney animator and was one of the big artistic figures behind the Disney Renaissance and movies like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and he and Glenn Keane made a test based on the children's book Where the Wild Things Are, later a live-action movie by Spike Jones. And this is really cool. You can watch it online. It's, it's the kid from Where the Wild Things Are running through CGI house, basically. And he took this to the Disney bosses, Ron Miller, Walt Disney's son-in-law, uh, who was the head of the company at that point, and said, we should make a feature-length movie with this technique. And Disney just happened to have recently acquired the rights to the novel, The Brave Little Toaster. And the idea was, okay, let's let's make this movie in that style. It feels like it will be really well suited to it. And the Disney bosses, Ron Miller, absolutely hated this idea and almost immediately fired John Lasseter for having the temerity to suggest such a thing and to waste resources in developing it. But they still owned the rights, so the idea was passed off onto Hyperion, which was a independent animation studio that was founded by a few former Disney producers. So a little bit like Don Bluth Studio. Um, some of those producers were working on the Brave Little Toaster when it was in development. So Disney said, we're not going to do this in the expensive um, half 3D way. We're going to give it to this small studio, get them to produce it for a very small sum, and then we'll distribute it after the fact. And that's what happened. But like Disney would be making like 2D movies with CGI backgrounds very soon. Like The Great Mouse Detective being the first major example of that technique in a feature film. And then a couple of years later, in, well, well like five years after the Brave Little Toaster came out, less, you've got Beauty and the Beast, which has huge scenes. Obviously, the iconic ballroom scene 
which was produced in exactly the way that John Lasseter was suggesting that they make the Brave Little Toaster, and that was obviously a huge hit. And it just the Brave Little Toaster just misses out on being that huge milestone in the history of American animation. You can see the elements of like build into something, like you said, in terms of maybe not technically, but a lot of the themes and the kind of ideas that you know these guys are playing with, but maybe a bit darker. But you that is still evident, I think, in some Disney stuff. And as you mentioned before again this was kind of like a weird era for animation in general um you know similar stuff at this time as you mentioned like don bluth you got things like uh you know secret nim but also american tale lamb for time um and then later on you get things like you know fern gully but then from disney you got fox and the hound um you also got like all dogs go to heaven from another studio so yeah there's a lot of like you know very random crazy animations going on and i think when I think of that era, again, even though I wasn't so born in the 80s, obviously I think people born in the 90s were still kind of like watching those films on video or they'd be on television, etc. So I think there was this idea of animation at that time was kind of very centered around like, well, let's bring life to these like characters, whether they're like, you know, dinosaurs or dogs or, you know, like let's make them speak and like this look at to this world and what's it like down under the sea and what's it like if we bring appliances to life. So I remember as a kid, now, again, this is why this is something that's always stuck in my mind is because I had the VHS. I remember buying it um, in a shop called Macro, <laughs> which I don't know is kind of like a Costco for um, people might know from like in the States, but also now in the UK and kind of being enchanted by like, what is this on the front cover? And I remember quite funnily thinking that the uh, blanket character was a bar of soap <laughs> just because of his head. <laughs> but um I always remembered this movie because much like other kind of animations during that time, even things like Wallace and Gromit or like the snowman and stuff, it's something about there which is then eerie, it sticks in your mind, like Fox and the Hound and, you know, Basil the Great Mouse Detective, etc. And there was a few things that I don't think it would, there's stuff that's very scary. And to me, I was kind of more creeped out by more the subtle stuff rather than the actual scary stuff. But that's why it's always stuck with me and that's why you know i wanted to sort of revisit it and you know talk about it in that sense so yeah it's interesting in terms of its position in in animation history and how it kind of reflects that era but like you said also kind of like led up to then all these famous kind of other animated films and and names in in the animation industry craig obviously we never released this commentary so remind me what what was your experiences with this film had you seen it before we did our commentary so i must have seen this film when i was younger but i but i only remember the only scene that i remember watching is the final scene so basically it means that i am acutely familiar with the junkyard scene above any other scene in this film but then it was just sort of like later life where you know, I guess reference here or there and in different uh into different videos and different reviews. I become more aware of other scenes and obviously we both know what my at least my favourite scenes to sort of reference to each other every now and then would be. So yeah, I had a, an okay relationship, but I think I've always enjoyed I've always enjoyed the film. Um I've always I've always had like a very good time with the uh very good time with the film god only knows what i would have thought of this film as a kid it definitely it definitely didn't traumatize me i don't think 
un- unless it has traumatized me to the point of I never remembered watching any of those scenes. But well, it's worth noting as well that this also had two director video sequels. Again, a big thing in you know the nineties, etc. So there was yeah, those I had no knowledge of whatsoever. <laughs> I've still to this day not seen, and I I don't think you could pay me to watch those films. Next time on Well Good Movies. Uh, no, so yeah, the Brave Little Toaster to the rescue and the much more crazily named the Brave Little Toaster, <laughs> the Brave goes, Little to Toaster goes to Mars. <laughs> like, why? So I think that's the one that I remember the most from when I was a kid. I, I have not seen the Brave Little Toaster to the rescue. I definitely did see the Brave Little Toaster, but again, it was kind of half remembered. But the one that sticks out, even though I'm not sure if I saw it in its entirety, but there's a couple of scenes from it really stuck out, was the Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars, which obviously as a kid I didn't think anything of. Um, Obviously I've missed something in the Brave Little Toaster to the rescue where this series transitions from something very mundane to a world where people go to Mars willy-nilly. It doesn't seem to be the case, having read the Wikipedia page. Like, there's no no news story in the background of the Brave Little Toaster or the rescue where, like, man lands on Mars. But it's... Uh, that is the one that I remember, and it's mainly the villain in that who is an evil... Um, or I think misunderstood, but a, a heronaid, uh, an antagonistic heronaid who... Sorry, I, what? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so weird as a sentence. Yeah, does it? Does it? I mean, I don't know if we're spoiling the brave little toaster goes to Mars on this, but it's there fine. is a <laughs> there's a hearing aid who um, sends so that <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves, yeah. really. But the the, the 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 master who the appliances are obsessed with in this movie, and I want to talk all about that because it's weird. He is now an adult and he has a child. He has a baby. Oh dear Lord! Okay. The hearing aid somehow teleports that baby to Mars. I remember this being on like Disney Channel and stuff. So I had seen, so again, because I owned that VHS, I was like, what? There's like sequels to Brave Little Toaster. So I've seen both. um, And I can tell you, yeah, like the Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars is the one more worth seeing because it's more memorable. Uh, You know, I think Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue, I think when you look at that summary, it's literally like they just find like an old computer or something like that from like the 80s or something. It's, and they're like moving at the same time and it's just yeah not it's just a kind of like feels like a tv episode or something like that i'm sorry but the brave little toaster to the rescue is basically the plot of this film <laughs> yeah but <laughs> like, all i remembered from brave little toaster goes to mars was like go into mars and i remember like for my scene <laughs> you would like, wouldn't you yeah. yeah i was i was gonna i was gonna sarcastically say well, that but, but nope, the actual, nope, he does it for me the mode of transport i meant is like the scenes i remember is that like i think like balloons like go up into like space or something so there's something about like balloons and they're like oh this is how you go to space follow the balloons that's oh that i think that's what they're saying it's like when a child uh lets go of a balloon they go to space or something like that so they follow the balloons to Mars or something. But because the VHS and the covers for that film has like the baby in like this basket that they go up into space in, I kind of like head cannon since, oh, the baby. Yeah, I remember the baby being there. So did the baby go with them up up the balloons? But now you've reminded me that, yeah, the baby is teleported. I can't remember the hearing aid thing. But the only thing I remember from that is that there's like a ceiling fan on the bottom of this basket. And that's how they like transport themselves to Mars is following the balloons and somehow a ceiling fan is able to fly to mars somehow but yeah it, it sounds like we should have done this movie it sounds like we should have done this instead of the first one it's just like how how did everything in this film lead to the brave little toaster goes to mars but no i, I think there's some very special and memorable moments worth talking about in here and, and i think 
to me again it's like this film is more kind of like the kooky weird independent film and those two films are more like the disney direct-to-video sequels to me they seem more joined with disney i think um i'm right in saying maybe sam whereas brave little toaster was still more of an independent sort of piece of media am i right in saying yeah i mean they were released on Disney home video and stuff, so yeah, maybe slightly more integrated into the Disney brand by that point, although very much still a Hyperion Pictures production. Yeah, and I think possibly you can see the sequels on Disney+, Plus, but not Brave Little Toaster or something strange like that, I don't know, but again... I don't think any of them are on UK Disney+, Plus, uh, which is why we had to buy shonky DVDs from varying sources, which is strange. There's been no attempt to keep this movie in the public eye. Um, yeah, maybe it's on American Disney+. Plus. I feel really compelled to look that up now, but it's definitely not on, on the British version. Um, only Brave and Brave Heart. And the Brave Little Taylor, which is a Mickey Mouse short, a very good oh, Mickey Mouse short. Oh, come on. So, Sam, was the, so watching it for this podcast then, so you obviously had it on DVD, I, so I assume that there would have been a, a watch of it within recent yeah. years. But yeah, I watched it about a year ago, and I can't remember why. <laughs> Usually there's a reason for it, like something occurs to me, like, oh, I should watch this movie. I guess just that it's a, it, was a, it was a big, big-ish film in the history of American animation, and I thought I'd better get round to it. Um, I can't remember if there's another good reason. But well, I did, doing, like, is, a this... lecture on, like important toasters in cinema or something <laughs> and this this i mean i do mention it in that'd my be classes a short and lecture do... series would it not <laughs> it would just be this and like the toasters in like the born identity oh okay um well obviously there's the toaster there's the windows toaster screensaver which is a classic animated oh. toaster um Ah, oh, okay, leave that one with me as well the simpsons but... when he goes back in time with the toaster with the toaster yeah very good I do mention Brave Little Toaster in my lectures in my History of Pixar lecture because John Lasseter got fired from Disney, went and joined Pixar. That's that's kind of the story there. Um, but I watched it a year ago and I, I had a look and I did review it on Letterboxd and I don't remember doing this. And this kind of sets up my take on the movie, which maybe is slightly different from yours. <laughs> my review just says, I don't know if I'm proud of this, it just says, should have been called The Whiny Little Bastard and His Awful Mates. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my main problem with the movie watching it as an adult is just that I don't think, maybe with the exception of the blanket, any of the characters in this are particularly likeable. And for most of the movie, and it never really is properly resolved, they all hate each other. These aren't like a family of, of, of friends, like, for example, the toys in Toy Story who are like, you know they are they are a family like you can't break them apart they're going to die in the furnace holding hands together and we're all going to cry these guys hate each other and there's a, there are moments increasingly where they save each other's lives but in all the conversations that they have it's so antagonistic it's like why are these people friends even the toaster to start with is really cruel to the blanket and then has a change of heart and then when he starts treating the blanket a bit better the lamp is like what are, you, what are you being nice to that blanket for? We, you should be mean to the blanket like we all are. It's like, the blanket is has the personality of a small child. He's like five years old or something. Why are you all so cruel to the blanket, just delighting in it? So that's, that's problem one with this movie for me, is I find the characters really unappealing and just kind of nasty, even though there's some good voice actors and stuff and kind of sweet designs. It's so cruel. Which I wonder if, so this is, it's 
This is written by um, Joe Ranft, who were briefly mentioned, but he's the other really big, important Pixar name who played a major role in this movie. John Lasseter didn't really contribute to the finished product at all, but Joe Ranft wrote it and he would go on to be, by the time of Toy Story, the head story guy at Pixar. Um, so one of the most important people of that company and would continue to be so until he tragically died in, I think, a car accident. Um and, you know, left a real gulf in that studio, really. And you can see, obviously, a lot of similarities between this and Toy Story, which I'm sure we'll come to touch on as as we talk more about it, but the, the appliances slash toys come to life and have a weird parasocial relationship with their owner thing. But there's also the famous stories of the early drafts of Toy Story, which were a lot more cruel. And I don't know exactly how much of that was down to Joe Ranft. Some of it maybe even was mitigated by Joe Ranft. I know um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the Disney producer, played a big hand in those early drafts and trying to make them darker and more edgy as well. But basically, like, Buzz and Woody were much more cruel characters in the early drafts of Toy Story, which feels closer to what we've got in The Brave Little Toaster in terms of the temperament of these things. Yeah, well, that 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 was like as well because we, you know, we've talked about that era of animation. But I was going to ask you guys, what, why do you think one, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this before, Sam, but you know, why was this a thing during the 80s? You know, that I was speaking to a colleague in work today, and you know, he grew up in the 80s, and he was saying, you know, not specifically about Brave Little Toaster, but I was like, yeah, why was stuff so like you know dark and you know edgy, and why why were these like you know weird films being produced, and you know, even though he was saying, oh, that was great decade for movies and for music and stuff. But then he was like, you know, you can understand why some of the kind of like darker stuff was happening because of like things were happening in the real world, but it was still being communicated to them in different ways. So there was obviously things like, you know, AIDS and like, you know, different wars going on. But a lot of that was like communicated even through television. So he said that he remembered like adverts in which it was showing like what would happen if a nuclear bomb went off and it's just showing like houses just being obliterated, like little models and stuff like that. And that the fact that that's like just a TV advert, you're like, oh, wow. OK, like that that's just, you know, yeah, you're living in a grim world right now, kind of not like now in terms of things are very bad but you know you can your escapism is television and that kind of stuff and they're like no no this isn't happening whereas yeah maybe the 80s i guess was kind of more you know upfront about that yeah i mean this this came out the year after when the wind blows the classic british animation about what would happen if an atomic bomb was dropped on england um spoilers it doesn't go well and it came out the year before akira which is like one of the big kind of nuclear disaster paranoia movies um so in terms of the the animations that were more directly addressing those anxieties of the 1980s brave little toaster is slap in the middle of two of the biggest ones um yeah i don't don't, let's not draw too too close a line um between this and akira and and nuclear destruction but um yeah there's there's anxiety in the air like death and the possibility of death is maybe something that is more commonly discussed in households and in the lives of children because the thing about all of these um these like public service films which you know there was like i can't remember what it's called duck and cover i think it's called there's like an animated turtle who jumps into his shell to avoid nuclear destruction a lot of it's platitudes and it's like let's tell kids what they can do in order to mitigate the damage of a nuclear bomb um to make them feel better and it's like maybe we should just not be talking about the bomb as much maybe that will make them feel better because like 
this isn't actually going to help. There's nothing you can do. That's that's what when the wind blows is about. It's a satire of um of the government guidelines of what to do. It's about an old couple who follow those guidelines to the letter and it doesn't do anything and they die horribly. Yeah, the kids, I guess, were aware of the possibility of nuclear annihilation. Um, so there's maybe a line you can draw there. But it is, it is a trend. It feels like a just a pushback against prior waves of animation in the same way that Shrek's anarchy is a pushback to the like family-friendly classic style of the Disney Renaissance. Um, maybe this was just a pushback. This era was just a pushback against the likes of... And even things like the Aristocats and Robin Hoods, like these Disney movies of the 1970s, which did good but not great. And, you know, that's partly why Don Bluth left the studio in the late 70s because he thought that they were losing a bit of what made Disney special. And part of what made Disney, Walt Disney special, is that darkness. If you go back to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or Fantasia or Bambi or the film that this most resembles, I think, which is Pinocchio. It's a very Pinocchio-esque movie in its structure and in the density of of horrors on display. Um, So maybe it was just a pushback against like a light and fluffy version of commercial American animation, which had been more prevalent in the 70s. Although it wasn't one, you know, unlike Shrek and and the kind of anarchic comedies that followed that and found great success, if they were trying to um, appeal to the public by pushing against what had come before, it didn't really work, because not many of these movies were particularly commercially successful, apart from American Tale and Land Before Time. None of those darker movies were really smash hits, Brave Little Toaster included. And even then, I would argue they only do well because they they just choose their characters well, right? So every, they just rely on the idea of oh, cute little mice, yeah, we can go and we can go and enjoy this, or oh, every every kids love learning about dinosaurs these days. Let's capitalize on that. Whereas everything else is very much like you are. You are pitching this wrong, guys. All right, and in this, you get Toaster. That's our cute character. And I'm sure Pixar proper could work wonders with this project in, in the 2000s or even today. But this is like my number two issue with the movie is that the premise is just absolutely preposterous. The idea that toasters and lamps and radios and hoovers have the kind of sentimental value for a kid that a toy does it's not impossible i'm sure there will have been kids who got attached to particular lamps blanket makes sense toaster and it's visualized as like he sees himself in the toaster and he like makes funny faces in the toaster the toaster is deluded if he thinks that that equates to he's got a real sentimental attachment to this toaster that's one of the sad things about this movie and it's kind of how the novel ends and it's a big way in which the movie differs from the novel is that the master the older master doesn't really care about the toaster and the hoover and the lamp and the radio as one wouldn't he's not really bothered and in this movie they kind of change it so that he does feel the kind of sentimental attachment that they feel for him and i just think that's a bit silly like toy story is perfect it makes sense kids love toys it was compared in that um in that synopsis you brought up to the incredible journey which is about two dogs and a cat trying to get back to their owners and again makes perfect sense dogs love people people love dogs they want to be reunited i just the the very idea of 
this boy means a lot to this toaster and this toaster means a lot to this boy. I just cannot get behind. It just doesn't mean... Did either of you guys have sentimental attachments to household appliances, like utilitarian objects like this? Well, I guess what you know like uh, yeah i never watched it being like kind of like oh i relate so much to this in terms of like being attached to a toaster but kind of when i look back on watching it as a kid and i watch you know watch it now it does remind me sometimes again of like that imagination you has have as a child and i think there's little tidbits of it you know now and again during the movie and it could communicate that a bit better but i guess maybe that's why i was like lured to it in the first place you know when i was younger but like, I remember when I was young, I had, like, a woody, like, sort of action figure and a buzz one, but I didn't have, like, I think I had Mr. Potato Head, but it wasn't, like, the Toy Story Mr. Potato Head. So I had, like, a bunch of other toys, and, like, I had, like, this red robot, and, you know, like, there's the robot in Toy Story. So if I was recreating Toy Story, I, that robot would be that robot, but it, it wasn't the official Toy Story robot. So it's kind of like, to me, I was thinking of, like, you know, when you do substitute things for toys. Like, I remember when I was really young... You know, I would even take like little blocks of Lego and it would just be like, you know, three strips of yellow. And I'd be like, this is this character and stuff. And I like look back on it now as an adult, like how did I like fabricate a character and a personality after, you know, from three bricks? So, yes, that's a big push to say you could do that with a toaster. But I think there is an element of like, you know, you, you could like have the the radio or a vacuum cleaner and see a face in it that kind of element of like you know seeing like you know the an imaginary world within like the mundane to be fair as a kid i had a favorite pair of tongs i like to play with <laughs> yeah okay kids are weird and I, saying that i can picture i can picture our hoover that our the first hoover that i remember i can conjure it in my mind maybe i messed around with it i can't picture our toaster i can't i can't recall an image of any toaster that i've ever owned in my entire life i can't picture what my toaster looks like now to be be fair i guess you do also have the element of like uh children's you know like the play kitchens and you know like play checkout and you know like be a shop owner and there's that kind of thing as well and when play I was, toaster great i get it i definitely had little toy bits of bread yeah. when i was like little plastic bits of toast yeah okay 100 percent. that makes sense he shouldn't even be using a toaster toasters are dangerous toasters get hard you can put your hands in them to be fair i i do respect this film for for showing the most adult form of use of a toaster in the bath oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah get to that <laughs> But I think what's interesting as well Sorry, is... Sorry, when... I, I need to stop the nihilist humour on this show, but I, I just don't want to. I guess the origins of this story in some ways as well can speak to like why it's the way it is. And you mentioned earlier, Sam, Warship Down. You know, I think that that is another... When I've looked into the history of that and that as like a story and stuff, you're like, why did you tell this story to your children? Why did this guy write this? So when you look at this as something that came from like short stories in like a fantasy and science fiction kind of like magazine with like crazy like illustrations, you think, okay, fair enough. And then you see other like covers of it, which is like, you know, like cutesy little drawings of like the blanket with like little faces and stuff. And you're like, is this kind of like the trying to, like you say, disney something which was actually originally intended as at to be a creepy, weird story. But they're like, just run with it. You know, like you said, you know, kids love things which are inanimate being brought to life and we'll just go with it even though it doesn't quite fit. But it's also crazy to me that the creators of this, you know, not only is it like, oh, is this dark and edgy because that's what people like at the moment. It's like that the creators themselves wanted like, you know, oh, wouldn't this be cool if we had this? And whereas I think now animators would be like, 
if they have a message behind something or there's a vibe, you know, people can often be like, oh, it's too preachy or it's trying to say this, but there's usually good intention behind it. They're usually trying to say, you know, like be different or, you know, like embrace others and that kind of stuff. Whereas like, what is this film saying? Like, you know, life is harsh and cruel. And I think when I think to myself of watching it as a kid, I think of like, it's just some crazy adventure and, you know, you're watching the adventure unfold. And like you said, it's the incredible journey. They're going out into the wild. And I remember the songs, especially, and a lot of the visuals. But when now, when I watch it and I actually focus in on the story, especially as the film progresses, and I'm like, they're just putting these characters through the ringer. They're just like, and now they go into water. Now they go into sludge. Now they go into a horror place. Now they go into a horrible modern apartment. Now they go, you know, it just constantly barraging these characters with horrific scenario after horrific scenario and you're just like what did they do like i know you said sam that they are nice characters which is also true (laughs) but then at the same time it's just the fact that the creators were like yeah keep punishing them you know like they deserve the worst i made a joke at the beginning as to what i think this film is about and i like it was a joke but i also do believe that's what this film is i think this film is very much meant to be that sort of uh, grab at nostalgia and why it is that like your memories of the past are always going to be so much nicer than just the reality you live around you and how hyper con- hyper consumerist society has become and the ways in which that's made a lot of toxic elements right so you've got the guy who's cannibalizing all of these tools and uh all of these uh appliances yeah, appliances thank you um to basically just sell on their parts you've got the modern appliances wanting to be used so much that they're willing to jeopardize the lives of the the current main cast you have an entire junkyard of cars singing about what it is that they used to have in life and what it is that used to make them feel fulfilled and now they're effectively worthless which is why they just sit there and welcome death um (laughs) to be crushed into cubes like it is it is literally just the ways uh the ways in which society has treats treats like utility and worth uh just being relatively horrific in and of itself uh, i think this film is a fantastic depiction of that and crucially as well literally no solution as to how we can solve this even like with the changes of oh we gotta have a happy ending still doesn't actually solve the issues that the characters are faced apart from just well they're with the mass now it's all good which when I just hear about the fact that the novel is just all oh, the master didn't care, it's like, yeah, honestly, yeah, that makes that that makes sense. It makes everything fit a lot more. I I sort I do agree. I find it a bit weird that this guy is so attached to wanting to use appliances from like fifteen years ago. It's just sort of suggested. <laughs> Right, because that's that's the real world, right? Like people don't. That, that's what happens. You, you may be useful for your utility if you're an appliance, but eventually, that's not going to be what provides you with worth anymore. And what we've got here is they're no longer. Like what we've got in the movie is he's taken them to be used again, and that's what they want is to be used again. And I don't think that is realistic. It's not what would happen. It's not even if you're taking this as like a metaphor it's not like particularly common like i think the message should have been find worth in yourself my ending for this movie is they find the master and he not in a necessarily an overtly cruel way kind of dismisses them and he's not interested anymore and he's got 
newer appliances. But then the toaster and the gang are like, genuinely, the real master is the friends we made along the way. They, they find worth in themselves and in each other beyond their utility. We don't need to be used. We don't need to be useful in order to have pride and self-esteem and joy. Like, we can find that among ourselves. That would be a better message i think other than this which is just like similar to something like cinderella or if you just endure enough hardship eventually the problem will solve itself and also just like again the logic of this film that's something i want to discuss is you know the the world and logic of this movie but you know story-wise i think one you know even as a kid or when whether you're watching now obviously being told the brave little toaster you're like oh that is the central character and yes that is like the viewpoint we mainly get through obviously like the dream sequences and a lot of the action but it's almost like is the brave little toaster is the brave element of that pretty much the last bit of the film like the big sacrifice which again we'll get onto is very grim and dark but you know ultimately like when i'm watching this film most of the time i'm like Blanky seems to be more the kind of like what would typically be your kind of main character who is, yeah. like you said, is a nicer character for one, but also seems to have in some ways more of an attachment to the main character. And even the master himself, he doesn't even, you know, it's like, yes, I, I think it is funny that he's like got this attachment to his toaster, but I don't even feel he's got an attachment to the toaster that much that means that the toaster is central to this. Because I think even when he says, oh, I'm going to go to the cabin and pick up the lamp and the radio and the other appliances or something like that you might mention the toaster but the fact that he says the lamp and something 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 is like so you're not even acknowledging that the toaster is the most important to you <laughs> you know you could have done something like oh that toaster never let me down it was the best toaster i ever had you could do something goofy like that but you know i think where it does work is when the lamp has like oh remember that time when you changed my bulb and you know those yeah. kind of things i think that that that's nice and that kind of works the fact that this guy is also willing to go to like admittedly you know whether you've seen this film or not the the television which is friends with the the main characters from the cabin persuades him to go to the junkyard where they where they end up um but when they're there they don't turn around and go oh this is just you know a, a junk heap so yeah the fact that they go there and they're like oh yeah we can legitimately get some stuff for your uni pad here and the fact he's actually fishing through bins and like finding radios being like yeah but, the, you know, my favorite bit is when he then, you know, is like, oh, this looks like my blanket. Wait, it is my blanket. But seeing the picture on the floor, I'm like, that guy should be freaking the F out at this stage. <laughs> like, his reaction is not at all. Like, he should literally be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I I did joke about that when I saw it. I, I saw that picture. You should have been like, what the hell? Like what so somebody ransacked my cabin and like just to dump all my stuff at the at the junkyard that's the only explanation that's why i didn't choose the other plot summary because the fact that they say oh when the owner doesn't turn up for a year i'm like no this like this is the cruelty of this film is like he's grown up the fact that they like they're like oh look he's like graduated and stuff like that and i'm like yeah it's been years the air conditioner says that so again like you said sam how much can you really love this toaster and the fact that when he gets there like i actually loudly exclaim like when he said like what's going on here it's been ransacked they've you know the toaster's gone and everything and i i just loudly went oh i don't know it's almost as if you've left your cabin abandoned <laughs> it's, it's not that's the thing it's end. not even his main toaster it's his holiday toaster it's his vacation <laughs> toaster he sees yeah. his toaster like what two three months a year during the summer vacation same with the the hoover and everything i agree that the the lamp the blanket feels obvious the lamp is the only one where they really go out of the way to land 
that flashback where it's like, this is why he cares about that lamp. This is why the lamp cares about him. Mm. What's with the Hoover? The Hoover? What possible connection could he have with the Hoover? <laughs> I, I can imagine it, but you should show it. Maybe that's why the Hoover's such a dick. The Hoover's the worst. I also do have to, uh, to ask as well. It's just... One, what kind of emotional attachment do you have to a physical radio? But two, you're now in a society in which there's like actual better TVs and computers. The hell are you listening to the radio for? Or at least that crappy little radio. People say similar things about Andy in Toy Story, right? Like, isn't it kind of weird that this kid still is so attached to these toys? Isn't it like as, as, as almost an adult, as, a, as a, an 18 year old or whatever? And. I feel like, especially in this day and age, that kind of rings more true. Like, I definitely took toys from home to, like, uni. Like, that's fairly normal for a lot of adults now is to, like, have old toys or whatever or have new toys. Like, they make so many toys that are aimed at adults and it's maybe a little bit nerdy um, from a certain perspective, but it's fairly normalised. I think that makes more sense than this still because um, it's it's the toys mean something it's even if you're not going to play with Woody it's like oh it's Woody from Woody's Roundup that show that I liked you know what's the radio for what's the toaster for I mean the radio could be retro I guess could be like hipster yeah especially the fact he plays like too fruity maybe again they could have had that you know like was it like was he dancing along to these kind of like songs etc but I think again that's where they could have played more like I remember when I was young you know maybe that kind of like and the fact that oh let's go to the cabin maybe reminds me of the fact that like my family owned a caravan so it's quite similar in the sense of like oh you know let's go down the caravan every weekend that kind of idea and yeah it was like then my grand's caravan you know like as my grandparents got older they were like oh we don't go there anymore so there might have been like a good year or so when they didn't go there my dad had to go there and clean it up but I'm still like you know, this seems like a very long time that this family is like, you know, whatever, either paid rent on a cabin or bought a cabin and decided to just abandon it, you know, and just leave it for years and years. So again, like how much of an attachment does he have to these devices? And they could have made that a bit a bigger part of the story is the fact that maybe he was more attached to them because they're like the holiday items, if you know what I mean. It's not the kind of mundane what he's seeing every day. It reminds him of having fun with his mum and his dad or something like that, you know, or maybe it's the type of cabin in which there wasn't a TV. So all you could do was kind of like run around and play imagination with other things except there was a tv and that's the one thing they took from the cabin <laughs> yeah that's and true every- the old black and white tv which they still own. <laughs> everything else is modern in that place apart from the black and white tv for some reason which sticks out like a sore thumb it's if it was pixar it would have been a montage where you see him play with each of the appliances in turn to make it very clear why he cared about them and it would have had a very sad random human song over the top and would all have cried and would still be talking about it today and that's it's just as it i know we've like harped on this for far too long <laughs> but like it's it's fairly central to the movie and it doesn't really go to any effort to sell it to us and it's it's just a, a, a tentpole of the thing that just will not yeah stay i think i have a different way i watch this film i i shouldn't do this this is this is bad film reviewing but i think this is one of the only films that i've accepted to myself that the overall plot through line really doesn't make much sense and what i actually watch this film for is just an acknowledgement it's just a series of set pieces that i enjoy yeah, that's fine. That's totally that's totally valid. Yeah, and like I criticize um, other people for doing it for other films, but just do it openly for this film. And I'm just like, look, I'm sorry, okay, but I love worthless. Like, 
it's one of the only songs from a film I've actively downloaded and listened to on iTunes. Yeah, I think that's what stands out to me is, again, is the songs which like really stand out. You know, some of the sequences, like I said, when I was younger, a lot of like, we'll talk about obviously like the nightmare sequence and things like that. You know, I, I remember a lot of those visuals and all these crazy antics and sort of sequences that happen. But even just the opening to this really stood out in my mind. Like when I was young, I think when I watched things like animation or things like with puppets or something like that, I wouldn't get free freaked out if it was like the clown or like some evil you know monster or something but what i was freaked out by was just like you know really quiet scenes in which like in which you were like in really eerie scenarios like you know dead at night so the opening of this film when it's like all the like dead trees and it's like this like little like ding 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 you know i'm like oh you know like it's I used to, I think as a kid, like fast forward past the opening because it just kind of freaked me out. I was just like, I don't like this kind of like tension you're building. And then obviously it like turns sunny and everything's okay. But um, that always stood out to me. And I think that obviously that kind of like eeriness and darkness carries on. It's something that I had with the snowman as well. Like the scenes in which the kid and the snowman are going around his house when he first like makes the snowman, he comes to life and he puts the teeth the like dentures in his like mouth that really terrified me as a child for some reason so i think it's that kind of yeah weird stillness that like stands out to me so i think similarly to craig i'm then watching it being like oh yeah okay what's the other weird bit in this what's the other strange bit in this and on watchback then i'm not focusing on the story as much but that's what i was going to say to you guys is what are those standout like crazy moments and also you know we've talked a lot about like the the master and everything but how does this world work you know like cars are alive but then also cookers are alive but then some fridges are not alive but some fridges are alive it's like i don't, I don't know what's going on here <laughs> but also there's this idea that they do need power to do some things mm. but not just to live yeah. like they're all alive all the time and they can They've got like basic locomotion abilities that can like wobble around, but the Hoover can only go at full clip if it's plugged in, which I don't know if that's... On the one hand, I was asking myself that question before they said, oh, and we're going to use this like portable battery to, to get there. But then also when they drew attention to it in that way, I was suddenly thinking about it a lot more. Like, but wait, how can they do anything if they're not plugged in? Um, which, but again, I don't want to get too bogged down the logistics because you, there are, as you say, all of these really memorable moments. I mean, it's hard to get away from the clown, isn't it? That's pretty, pretty <laughs> central. The nightmare clown, utterly unnecessary. I'm a boy. <laughs> it comes from absolutely nowhere, but it is, uh, it is extremely cool, extremely memorable, extremely frightening. I just love how he literally only says one thing, and that one thing is the thing I remember most about this film. Literally, just the and I've even commented on this before, but just the way he says uh, his line without even moving the teeth, it's literally just run. <laughs> it's just a little scurrying afterwards, like because even the like the rest of that scene, you think like, okay, well, if you want to make some horror scene for a toaster, what do you do? Oh yeah, you know, burnt toast. You know, like the cloud comes in, grabs the child. You know, makes sense. And even the bath thing, you know, like people yeah. again who haven't watched this film, like, what are they talking about? But yeah, there's like this moment in which for some reason the toaster is above a bath and then falls into it. And that's the moment they wake up is like when they get electrocuted, which again is very twisted. And the only thing in my head I could think was like, is it just the creators were like watching things like, you know, Silence of the Lambs and Halloween. And we're like, this is cool. This is rad. Let's put all this stuff in here. But apart from all that. The clown just has no context as to why, like the fact he's in a, a, a fireman's outfit, 
it's just so weird. Apart from the fact that, like, that's the only thing I could think. Were they just like, right, the toaster sets on fire and, like, there's burning, so the firefighter needs to come in. But what's a creepy version of a firefighter? Oh, remember in Dumbo, there was those clowns which were dressed up as firefighters? And let's do that. That's the only connection I could see in my mind, which is just... Yeah, it it's so screwed up. Why? And the fact that, yeah, the water turns into forks and, like you said, Craig is, like, waddling away. Worthless is great. The thing that stuck in my mind as a kid was mostly the chomper. I don't know, the crusher, I guess you would call it. That's the, the most memorable image from the film for me. Uh, shout out to Van Dyke Parks, who did the songs for this, who's a real legend in, like, American, sort of like second tier American, like soft rock, West Coast rock. So he co-wrote the legendary Beach Boys album Smile, which is a, a favourite of mine with Brian Wilson. Um, so really top tier guy, real legend, and did the songs for this. And Worthless is the one where it feels most like a Van Dyke Park song. Um, because obviously Cut an Edge and It's a B-Movie are very much playing in like genre places. Um, the weird like synthesizer kind of new wave, Talking Heads, Devo thing on Cut an Edge is really cool. And yeah, it's, but it's, so It's a B-Movie has the Peter Lorre lampshade. Uh, anyone can do Peter Lorre. That's why, that's why he pops up so often as an impression in movies. It's an impression that literally anybody can do. <laughs> um, well, Phil Hartman does it here to a T. He also does Jack Nicholson as the air conditioner which is the other thing that stood out to me. Which is like a bit like the clown, like doesn't really get mentioned again or certainly that the trauma of what they've just witnessed this they basically bullied this air conditioner into getting so angry that he exploded and they just it doesn't really seem to affect them at all psychologically. And the, yeah. And then he for some reason has the emotional payoff of the master goes back to the house, sees that he's broken, decides to fix him, and then he's like, oh, he played yeah, with me. It's just like... Care. He's not yeah. taking you out the wall, though. He's not taking you to college. He's no. stuck in the wall. And that's... Yeah, that one stood out to me as a kid as well because I remember, again, it is so intense and so scary for, like, absolutely no reason in some way. And even in the context of the film, you're like, why did that just happen? Apart from what we said earlier is this idea of, like, the world is cruel and, like, you know, like what is your purpose in life and that that kind of like you know big heavy questions and but what i do respect about this and i guess that's why you know we we mentioned we did a commentary on return to oz because i think that's quite similar in terms of like you're watching it and you're like why is this happening why are these crazy things here but it's still rad and i appreciate that it's here you know it's, it's still crazy you know metally kind of stuff in some ways but so that scene to me is just like the bleakness of some of that imagery and that's why i was kind of like disappointed when he goes back to the cabin and he's like what happened here and you see like the the air conditioner and he's just there with like the plates come off and he like just puts the plate back on i was like that thing was on fire <laughs> like you know i was like let's please go back to the scene in which literally he was like sparking and there was like flames coming out of him and he like was crumbling the wall but the concept I love most of that is just the, like, it's my function. I was like, you know, that is, like, their heavy message there of, like... Because Toy Story goes into it a bit as well, but they obviously take a few movies to get there. But they're still not very bleak about it. There's a happiness to it. Like, Toy Story 4, it's like, yeah, toys get lost. You know, sometimes kids don't care about toys. But they add that spin of, like, well, let's try and, you know, entertain the kids that we can get hold of in this park and that kind of thing. But here it's just, like... 
it's my function to just put out cold air and you know like that i can't do anything about that and the fact that he just gets like so psychotic about that and it's just that image once he loses it and just him in the wall with like the the plate come off it i'm like it just looks so grim it just looks so scary it's like that and worthless bookend in the film with these images of basically suicide in both cases in response to the loss of your ability to perform your function in society and the the ensuing sense of worthlessness. It feels like a very, not necessarily that the film endorses this, but that's a very like authoritarian kind of hyper-capitalist perspective, which reminds me, uh, first of all, it reminds me of I'm going off on two tangents here. First of all, it reminds me of of Disney's original idea for Epcot, which was that it would be a functioning city wherein uh, literally everyone who lived there would work in some way towards the betterment of the city. And then once you reach retirement age, you were gone and you couldn't live there anymore. And it also reminds me of a movie that came out, it might have been earlier this year or late last year, called Plan 75, which is a Japanese sort of dystopian future movie where japan brings in a policy to deal with its aging population whereby you can opt in to assisted suicide when you retire and that will kind of give benefits to your family down the road if you do that and it's yeah it's this this quite dystopian idea of you are worth your utility you are Thomas the Tank Engine, that's another one. (laughs) In that that trinity of stories about utilitarian dystopias, it's like, yeah, if you you are not useful, you are as good as dead. And that's what these characters feel. And that's what the heroes are trying to stave off. And that's what the characters in the the junk shop have resigned themselves to as well. Like, most of them are quite happy that they're going to get torn up by this guy. Um, The one really funny joke in the movie for me was um i can't remember the exact line but it was the lampshade after the very sid-esque or al-esque um junk dealer also voiced by joe ranft comes in and and dissects and takes apart one of the appliances the lampshade says something to the effect of like you never know what he's going to do he's so spontaneous (laughs) That, that is funny this absolutely demented character who's just embraced the chaos of his inevitable torture and death well that that's the song i went to more like you know in adulthood is the you know worthless i think that was once i had rewatched the film i was like oh yeah this is a banger so i downloaded that but b movie always stood out to me because of how kind of like theatrical and that kind of you know the organs and stuff i just thought it was so fun and crazy and embracing that idea of the experimentation and all of that But it also, I think, is a sequence that echoes a lot of these themes. And when you look at the lyrics, they stand out so much. And I think the visuals, you know, really stand out to me in in it as well. So the one that always stood out was when, you know, literally they're there singing about, like, you know, how crazy it is and what's going to happen. And then the fact that they're looking there at this, like, perfect sunset and they're like, you know, there goes the sun. Here comes the night. Somebody turn on the light. Somebody tell me that fate has been kind you can't go out you are out of your mind i'm like that's just so like bleak and like you know the fact that they're saying you know there goes our last chance of like positivity and happiness and like the other characters are there just saying like nope you can't go anywhere and the fact they're saying things like somebody tell me the fate has been kind you know it's this kind of like 
trying to escape lunacy, trying to escape madness, which I just find is just so I don't know, po- poetic and crazy. But like in this film of all things, it's, it's mad. Um, and I love like the ta- like the tape recorder again. I think if kids watch this now, they'd be like, "What's that all about?" I think we were brought up in a time in which tapes were still a thing before CDs come in. So the fact that one of the characters is all like reels of tapes, and at the end they're like, "Oh," and he's there like being lifted with like the scraggly tape arms and stuff. I'm like, there's so many fun designs in it, like the fan and like the the weird. I don't know what do you call it like sound recorder which is like some Hollywood bombshell type thing she's like mm. you must be the new boys in town it's like there's so many crazy designs going on in this it's almost as if like a start like a George Lucas-esque of like okay you guys do these characters you guys do these you know see what you come up with a bit like Toy Story which they said like Sid's room wasn't it it's was like everyone was like right create some crazy psycho toys you know and, and everyone got their chance to kind of like experiment and try and make one this to me reminds me a bit of that um but also where you're talking there sam about like messaging the other bit that stands out to me is and again i wasn't i forgot this until i rewatched it for the commentary and okay, stuff a few you, years ago i don't think you're gonna say it but go on is the flower scene. oh it is the flower scene yeah yeah i'm just like that is just again what you know what is going on this like message of like life and death is like yeah i, I assume it's stood so up for you as well craig needless it's literally just this flower thinks he's found someone the toaster runs away looks back and he's just there so sad he's dying it's like, why have you done this what what value does this add to the film and I'm like, is this some sort of messaging again? Like what you see later on about like the cutting edge of like, you know, the the n- nature versus the mechanical and this kind of stuff. Which again, as a kid, I can't remember all this like dancing frog stuff and like all these animals jumping in here. Because that is literally as if they've gone into the Disney movie. I'm like, are you trying to parody Disney here? Is this the whole yeah. kind of like meeting the little critters thing? I'm like, that has no place in this movie. I don't know why that's there at all. Because again, you've already established his cars are alive, electronics are alive. But also animals can talk and animals are like, you know, humanized and that kind of thing. I think there's a lack of unity in the messaging of each of these individual sequences in the way that you've got in, for example, Pinocchio, which I said that's like probably the Disney movie that this most resembles. It's probably the movie that most resembles Pinocchio up to this point, you know, Um, which is my favourite Disney movie for various reasons. But that's a very clear story about innocence and experience and about resistant temptation this is about these movies are both about cute naive characters who are foisted out suddenly into the real world and are faced with a litany of horrors and then they weather it they get through to the end and they get what they want but in Pinocchio every obstacle that he encounters is a result of a form of temptation it's a result of him coming into contact with a force from the adult world that he doesn't understand which tempts him in one sin or another, whether it's it's pride or gluttony or having big old scraps in pool halls and stuff like that. And he has to learn to become a real boy to resist those temptations and to do something for the benefit of somebody else by saving Geppetto from the wheel. But in this movie, it's not as clear as that. Like, I guess they all have to be brave at one point or another, but it's not like... Like, one version of this movie would be each of the appliances are tested in turn 
and they prove themselves brave. And you you almost get that because there's a bit with the um, the lamp where he saves them when they're losing the power. He kind of conducts the lightning bolt to bring them back power. And then there's a bit where... There's two bits where the vacuum cleaner has to put himself on the line where he saves the blanket from the tree and when he saves all of them in the ravine waterfall thing. And it, there's just like an imbalance there. It w- so you can either make this movie about each of these characters learns to be brave, but then the blanket doesn't really do anything in that regard and the radio doesn't really do anything in that regard and the toaster doesn't really until right at the end. Or there's this story where you take just your one protagonist and have them undergo some kind of arc which is propelled by all of these things that they encounter. But that doesn't really happen here either because, like I said, the, the toaster only really has to demonstrate bravery right at the end so what is the purpose of these nightmares what is the purpose of the flower sequence what does that have to tell us that is compounded by the various um obstacles they encounter in the forest and then what's that got to do with what happens in the junk store and then what's that got to do with what happens in in the apartment and in the junkyard they are just being subjected to a series of events that don't seem designed to build them as characters in a way like the events in Pinocchio do. Well, it's also, I think, that idea, like, again, that's why I think it has happened a lot in recent animation and especially within Disney projects in general. And a lot of people have had problems with that, you know, again, depending on where you are in the world and that kind of thing. But it's that idea of, you know, when sometimes message can overcome story. And I think what, you know, films that succeed in what they do, and again, Pixar can, you know, usually be pretty successful in this, um, is that idea of, you know, attaching that kind of message to your main protagonist, like you said. So the fact that what they seem to be commenting on is the fact of like, you know, look how cruel the world is. And I think like Cutting Edge, you know, I think that's a really fun song as well. I think you have so many great designs in there of the characters. And there's obviously this commentary on like consumerism, a bit like what Craig was saying earlier about, you know, like capitalist society, you have like planes coming in and you have these like signs coming up saying like, buy now, only, you know, only available, you know, in store, all this kind of stuff coming up. And I think that, yes, you are talking about, you know, a message about the world and everything, but how does this impact our characters? How is that reflected in them? You know, recently Barbie's done a great job of that by having the fact that everything that happens and everything that you're commenting on that impacts margot robbie's barbie character and ken in those films they're not just saying well this is the world this is the message we're trying to say they're saying how all of this affects that one character which yeah unfortunately doesn't quite come through here whereas i think that idea of bravery that's why i said is kind of strange in terms of you know the toaster especially because the end of this film it's almost like the, the toaster has this moment in which like you have this really bleak imagery of like seeing the red and like you know seeing the cogs and the crusher and you're like is this the brave moment that they accept that they have to kill themselves so something i read was basically like somebody who worked on this film one of the issues they had with it was the worthless was too grim because it, ah, seemed, I did to be, read this, yeah. it seemed to be suggesting the fact that the cars were happy to die so it's suggesting that they're like you know suicidal and it's almost the same with the toaster. It's the fact that like she's there looking at these cogs and she's like, this is my destiny. This was what I was brought to this moment to do. And it almost does seem as if like the toaster is dead, you know, like and they've like jumped into this and it keeps cutting back to the cogs. And you're like, it's not this kind of like I can see the, the point in which I can save the day by hitting that lever or doing something else. It is just like I need to like literally 
jump in there and kill, you know, be killed in order to save this person, which is not something you usually see from a main protagonist in that way, unless they, you know, jump in and another character's like, no, or, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's really bleak. <laughs> yeah, it's this compulsion because they are worth nothing without the master. The master must be preserved. Even the use of the word master is weird. I don't love that that's what they call him. I assume you also found the scene weird at the beginning where the blanket is like floating and like everything becomes like heaven-like and his eyes are all like, the master. That's the bit which I was like, this is weird. <laughs> okay, take those cassettes, rewind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. So, obviously, we don't always have somebody who is uh, heavily researched in the areas of animation with us, so we thought that this would be a good opportunity to ask Sam to talk us through the information they found out about this film. So, Sam, take it away. Well, my main bit of trivia, because I've... I'll say it depends what your class is trivia, because I've, I've obviously already been through a lot of the, the production of this movie and how it ties into other movies, but a great representation of that, which very much is trivia i would say is that this is the first feature film that has the a113 code in it and do another a113 yeah the pixar like that was the room that they were all in in animation film school kind of thing is yeah yeah in in cal arts which was disney's um disney's college basically where they trained animators yeah that was the room that they were in and it's a code a113 which is either said out loud or is visualized in some way in every pixar film and in loads of other things as well loads of animated shows quite a few episodes of the simpsons for example like anyone who was in this room at CalArts, which is quite a lot of now very famous and influential people likes to pepper that room number into their film. So it was like a license plate in Toy Story. It's um, an important code in Wally as well. And this is the first movie that has it, and it is on the door of the master's apartment. And that was put there by Brad Bird, who is kind of the founder of the A113 tradition and later went on to direct The Iron Giant and The Incredibles and Ratatouille. And yeah, he, he, he had put it in a few TV episodes that he worked on beforehand, but it's the first feature film that has Ear 113 in there. Other than that, I can just hit you with, um, this guy did this voice trivia if we're interested. Uh, so yeah, Joe Ranft, who was a writer at Pixar, also did a lot of Pixar voices. He was um, Heimlich, most prominently, in A Bug's Life. But my favourite voice actor in this even though it was one of my least favorite characters is Thurl Ravenscroft who plays the vacuum cleaner who has an incredibly badass name as you mentioned earlier and is the voice of Tony the Tiger in the original um, long-running Kellogg's promos and also sings uh, Grim Grin and Ghosts which is the theme song for the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and he sings You're a Mean One Mr Grinch from the Grinch um, yeah, so that's I think that that's that's all I've got that we haven't covered. I'm afraid, but that's but, good. A one one three, that's good. We we and like we said, we definitely brought up a lot of you know the stuff with John Laster at the beginning of the discussion. So again, that was all like facts and you know backstory for this film early on as well. Yeah, the A113, I think every time I watch something, I'm basically just looking out to see if it makes an appearance. So. I didn't realise that this is the first first one to do it, so that is pretty cool. That probably gives Brave Little Toaster a little bit of a place in 
film history, despite everything that was explained earlier, that it could have had more, but it was robbed. And I guess, you know, we mentioned earlier as well, like Phil Hartman, the fact that he's doing like a Jack Nicholson sort of like impression as well. So, you know, there's another kind of like parody, like voice that he's doing. And of course, you know, he's famous as well from like The Simpsons. And he had like a very tragic like death as well, which... You know, it was like you were saying. David, with, why are you uh, bringing it, that up? Come on, uh, man! Uh, well, just maybe the it brave is like, little toaster is cursed. Yeah, you did know, anybody fact, else die young from this movie? I don't know. The toaster? I'm joking. On a lighter note, yeah, Phil Hartman and John Lovitz were both SNL cast members. Um, that all of the main characters in this were part of an improv group called the Groundlings, which the director hired basically to come in and do all of this, and they did improv quite a lot of the dialogue. Um, and John Lovitz was hired for SNL during the production of the movie and his agent wanted to take him off the movie so he could just go and work on SNL full-time. So what John Lovitz did was he came in and he did all of the radio's dialogue, which is probably the most lines that any character has in the movie because he's talking constantly. He did it all in one session. Oh, my God. Yeah, so there's there's a bit of trivia. There you go. That makes sense, yeah. Something I saw as well, like, in terms of the cast and stuff, is that um, Dina... Uh, Oliver um, apparently in 2010 revealed that his son's deployment ceremony to Afghanistan some of the soldiers were fans of the film brought their toasters with them for her to autograph so we're talking about like who gets attached to a toaster apparently people who served in Afghanistan I was like wow that that's impressive that they they brought toasters to like <laughs> this scenario to sign so. yeah but the problem is I hear that I just think of Tommy was so in spoons <laughs> True. Yeah, everyone going to screenings of the Brave Little Toaster, throwing toasters at the screen every time the word toaster is said. <laughs> so, yeah, we've had some uh, fantastic trivia there. We've talked a lot about trivia and the history throughout this entire discussion. So let's round up our discussion of the Brave Little Toaster now and uh, summarize our thoughts uh, over at the Movie Vault. So for anyone new to the podcast, we like to think of this as a time capsule of memorable movies for someone to dig up in the future. So should the Brave Little Toaster from 1987 gain the honour of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time? Craig, I'll go to you first. I knew you were going to come to me <laughs> first. You're a little prick for that. <laughs> this film's an odd one because by sheer, by every metric that we usually decide that a film should go in, I think Sam has given arguments as to why it really, really shouldn't right so he's explained that the story doesn't make sense and he's right he's explained that the characters are not that memorable and he's right he's explained why it could have been like it could have been seen as the pinnacle of a certain animation technique but it wasn't uh there are a lot of examples of dark dark media from the 80s so the question then is on what grounds could i defend this film going in and realistically i think i'm going to have to go back to my my one defense which is just that to me i just think that the areas to which this film wants to just go incredibly grim uh and just incredibly just very very cruel i think it at least does it in a very very striking way i think a lot of this film we have described is quite memorable and just the ways in which it depicts a lot of these things um but especially quite graphic i think the one thing we didn't talk about in worthless is just the extent to which 
like cars body body plots are just flying around if you just think of those as human limbs it effectively is just they are being splattered by like cars versions of blood over and over again so my feeling is i think it is fueled from a nostalgia standpoint but also just i think insofar as just the way in which it creates a lot of these set pieces even though they don't they don't come together in a very cohesive way i think they are striking set pieces so my vote will be to yes but in the event that this eventually turns into a no i will understand and i will not i will not be bitter well i think it's interesting as well because you know recently we had discussion in the full monty episode in which darren made the argument based on like well the movie vault you know sometimes you know removed films from there in the past and there is the idea of like well this can go in there because there isn't anything representative representative of it right now but then again does that give it the merits that it should go in now or will there be that chance in the future obviously darren i think made that argument quite well in that episode but also i think that the full monty had the benefit of also being like you know an oscar winning film etc and creating quite a big legacy and quite a big cult following um with brave little toast i think does have that elements of like there's so many like visuals and kind of moments in this which are kind of scary and crazy but nostalgia might also be a big part of that and again when i think of like if somebody was to watch this for the first time would then be that context and would there just be that kind of like why is this happening why is this just like horrific things for an hour and a half but not in the sense of like oh this is rad this is cool it's just you know goes over the head uh sam what do you think yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of looking for a reason to to vote yes because i don't like voting no on anything i think any movie deserves to be remembered you know as an academic my philosophy is always any movie is valuable because it can tell us about the time and place in which it was made both in terms of the film industry and you know we've even talked a little bit about is this reflective of certain attitudes of the 1980s um and it is kind of a footnote in the history of animation rather than actually being a major part of it but i do quite like this idea that we can put it in there on the basis of is it representative of an era that there isn't already a representative of yeah i mean so you have apart from shrek and town called panic are there many animated films in the vault i'm trying to think i i I did bring up our list to kind of like give context and again this is where some things have gone in there based on like when we've talked about studios or like animation as a whole like individually pretty much like the only times we've talked about like animated films is something like the nightmare before christmas which has gone in a town called panic akira came up after your episode oh yeah your name came up after that which also went in um and then we have focused on like mulan before when the remake etc come out but the animated version went in so there's a bunch of other dreamworks stuff went on when we discussed that sort of studio but again mainly shrek and shrek 2 are the ones which we have sort of actively discussed and then this batman mask of the phantasm when we're talking about joker so but yeah in terms of like actual you know when we've reviewed a specific animated movie then it is more from that you know akira tanko panic your name shrek one two those are the main ones which we talked as well as uh night before christmas which we've talked about in detail um yeah it's a tricky one because then you know that you know like in darren's argument he was saying well you might never get the chance to talk about train spotting or something like that which could be the better replacement for your british kind of like edgy movie 
So I guess it's, it's the same thing of like, well, is there a better representation of this dark 80s animation and will we ever get the chance to talk about it kind of thing? Well, there is, but it's Japanese and it's Akira, <laughs> which came out the year after and which again deals with, well, certainly this this climax of um, gnarly body horror which mirrors that of the brave little toaster in a way. Well, that um, being in the vault, then, do you think that that is, you know, it's already that's doing that role, and you know, brave little toaster doesn't? I think that might be my argument. I think that might be my argument. I think I'm going no on the toaster because the key already in there. That's that's a crazy sentence, but I think that's where I'm at. Hey, so I'm, I'm asked happy me a question, to be voted and down. I, I, I answered. Okay. <laughs> I just think you're a class traitor, David. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's why I mean, that's why I, you know, give it to you guys first, because again, it was one which I was like, I don't know, because, you know, my my opinion is clouded by my nostalgia for it, by having, you know, owned the VHS and a lot of that imagery standing out to me. But again, like Sam rewatching, I'm like, you know, there is a lot of like inconsistencies here. There's like the weird things with like, you know, the dancing animals and you know, the just the relentlessness of the grimness that happens to them. You know, I think the, the key points are like worthless B-movie, you know, the, the air conditioner scene. But then again, you know, like the going into the sludge and the, into the river and the lightning and everything, you're like, is this all really necessary? You know, what is this doing to the story? So that's where I was more torn on whether I think that it, it should go in. <laughs> Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I think I am edged towards no, because I think that it's it's the same thing as we've discussed before. I think that, you know, in this world in which possibly you could be like, yeah, go watch the clown scene or go watch Worthless. I don't think I can advocate for the entire film. You know, I think that there are some brilliant things and sequences and visuals. And that's, you know, one thing which I also love about the film is like I mentioned earlier, like the air conditioner, that shot of him after he's blown up, you know, it's quite artistic and like, there's the bit with the repair guy, you know, when they like come out as a ghost and like that image of him, like it's almost as if the animation levels up like 10 times for a moment when he's screaming and it's like really detailed and his eyes are popping out. I'm like, that's really impressive. Like, you know, and I think the character animation is really impressive is the the movement of like lamp and, um, you know, obviously toaster is a bit more difficult because it's like, how do you make that kind of like wander around? David, like it's radio. all well and good going into detail about all these things that you like when you're about to reject <laughs> this film. <laughs> it's something that we didn't touch on, but it's something I'd want to add that caveat to say that if, you know, it doesn't go in, I think that there is some impressive stuff here. But what I was going to say is that I don't think it's consistent enough throughout the movie. It's not like Spider-Verse in which you're getting it all the time. It's just, you know, like four or five shots and i think a bit like sam said which probably led to then those greater moments happening when these people did other animated films in their career so you know yeah i would i would say that there's some fantastic moments in here and the character animation is fun especially the way radio points his little antenna around the place but i think ultimately as a movie as a whole we've remembered it here guys we've talked about it (laughs) but i think it's a no can we at least put in worthless? Can we just put in the song worthless? <laughs> Screw it. I'm gonna I'm gonna change the capital I have. Just where the movie vault is, like this the little track outside playing is worthless. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And look, I mean Akira was obviously really clearly inspired by the Brave Little Toaster in a lot of ways, so its legacy lives on in the vault. I mean the irony is I'm pretty sure on that episode I advocated for, for Akira not to go in. <laughs> <laughs> This is just madness. We're in the end game now. So now over to our final segment, which might lighten up the mood a bit. Uh, I wish you hadn't said that because uh, 
uh, it's Endgame time. This this game is called Dark. Seriously, for kids. <laughs> yeah. So this film based game is all about the dark, dark, dark films intended for children. But David wants there to be an element of light shed on this, so this is what the game is going to do. Basically, I have um, a list of different uh, of different films which are which are incredibly dark children's based films. Specifically, I'm going to read the synop- uh, the general summary written by this website. Uh, the website in question, I would like to thank at the top of this game, Paste. Specifically, I'm going to reveal them bit by bit. And then when you think you know what the film is, I want you to basically buzz in. The buzz will just be like a word of your choice. And if you get it right, you get points depending on how early you guess the film. In a way that either complicates or makes this game incredibly easy, I'm pretty sure Sam has mentioned most of, if not all of these films during this episode. I did this last time as well. Yes. <laughs> I did this with Shrek as well, didn't I? Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, the uh, the beautiful end game that got lost to time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. Basically, there's still a possibility that you will remember it quicker than David. So before we get into the game, I just want to quickly check what your buzzers will be. David, what will be your buzzer? I was tempted to do run or something like that, but yeah, that might be a bit too much effort. Um, master. <laughs> <laughs> David choose it saying that a one syllable world is a word is less well, is more it's because I would want to do the clown I would want to do the run you know so that's just not immediate, okay so da- so David's buzzer is going to be master Sam what will your buzzer be my buzzer will be toast okay master and toast sure whatever floats your boat But as always, we need to decide what it is that we'll be playing for. But unlike other episodes, because this is one of the special episodes in the run up to our 100th episode, this will be a the prize will basically be a contribution towards the episode that we're planning to be in celebration of our 100th. So we are planning a bonus episode to celebrate our 100th main episode, which is that we're planning another one of our endgame specials. And the winner of each of the episode endgames, which contribute to the run-up to the 100th, so these are the special five bonus episodes, like such as this episode, you will get to choose a factor of your choice that goes into the endgame special itself. So this might be if you have a game suggestion, if you want us to make games out of a particular film suggestion, or if you have something that you want us to do during the contestants. You don't have to decide this now. You can just let us know before we record uh, before we record that episode and we will incorporate your choice. So very much this will be a community-built endgame. But before we get to that, we need to get through the game itself. So just checking. Sam, are you ready? Toast. David, are you ready? (laughs) Master. Fantastic. So we'll start with synopsis number one. You're probably going to want to be quite quick off the mark on this one. Spike Jones's... Toast. Sam. (laughs) Where the wild things are. (laughs) Shockingly, you're correct. (laughs) And that, off the mark, is five points. Wow. But that, that is... That's a coincidence that I mentioned that. That is that is a coincidence, but as with many things that seem to involve you, Sam, 
You, you just have a wide enough knowledge that coincidences are statistically more likely to happen. It's true. There's a guy on Letterboxd who makes a list of all the movies that we mention on Disneyversity, and it's absolutely insane the amount of stuff that comes up when I'm talking about movies. And this is this also the moment that we talk about the weird coincidence with Ratatouille from last time's Endgame? Oh, yes! Uh, oh, okay. We're derailing the quiz, but yeah. yes, that... I invented in the course of that game the fictional movie. I can't remember what did I call it. I called it something slightly different. Uh, no, I think. Well, I think it was pretty much. Uh, I did bring it up earlier because I was like, "Oh, this might come up." Right. I I invented the concept Ratatouille with a raccoon, basically, and then months later, they somehow the Daniels, the now Oscar-winning. Uh, creators of everything everywhere all at once heard this podcast stole that idea and made it a central part of that movie a central running gag where there's a parallel universe where that's a movie that exists um yeah i think i might have called it rakakui and they called it rakakuni it was a raccoon raccoon to it it was slightly different but i came up with that idea based on the random prompts that you gave me to come up with an idea for a children's movie and they stole it and won several oscars if one of those oscars is for screenplay and i think it might have been i would like a cut of that yeah it's just the idea that i think we said yeah come up with a premise around swiss lodge our like official unofficial dinosaur mascot and it was the idea that you were like this dinosaur wants to be a chef and there's a raccoon in his hat controlling him it's like that's such a specific thing yeah, and yeah for that to come true wow so anyway now that the trip down memory lane is completed, let's get back to the end game. Are we ready for synopsis number two? Yes. The Disney classic is sweet and enchanting, except for the forest scene. Toast. Sam. Sn- Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? You are indeed correct. It is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. (laughs) As we got to the end of the summary, that is one point. Number three. The witch and woods are frightening, but the flying monkeys... Toast. The Wizard of Oz. It is indeed the Wizard of Oz. Uh, That's another say. three points. <laughs> I was like, I what animated film there. has a witch? And I was like, wait, this is I isn't didn't just say it. animated, did I, David? I said no. this is films for kids. It's... I could have got five points there, but I didn't have the I didn't have the toast. <laughs> okay. Number four. Dinosaurs battling each other. Toast. Master, Sam. Is is there a penalty for toasting and not getting it right? No, we'll just carry on until one of you gets it. Okay, Fantasia. Oh my god, you got it again. I was going to say Fantasia, so... Well, you didn't, David, I know. so maybe you should speak up. That's another five points. Okay, I'll be impressed if Sam gets gets five points on this one. Two words. Heffalumps. <laughs> Toast. Sam. Winnie the Pooh. Uh, the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. That is not the one they have listed here. Um, what? Is it the Heffalump movie? Winnie the Pooh, the Heffalump movie? That is not what they've got listed either. Oh. Oh. F- uh, is uh, Toast. I'll, 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 uh, yep, Sam. 
Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day, which is the short I, in which the first appeared, yeah. I will accept that. It uh, is Winnie the Pooh, the Blustery Day. Ah, uh, very good. Oh, phew. <laughs> what is, is that, is that what I was thinking of? Is is that called the Heffalump movie? That, like, Poo, Pooh's no. Heffalump movie is right, what you're thinking Pooh's of. Okay. Yeah, right. that is a much more modern Yeah, which yeah, I was like, I'd been... be surprised if this was like, not shouldn't be for kids. But... Okay. Are we ready for the next... Next one? Yeah. Okay. And David, I'm going to specifically ask you, are you ready? Because we've not heard from you much this game. (laughs) I'm a bit concerned. Another Rankin Bass production. Toast. The Last Unicorn. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I said no chance of that. That, I was like, okay, I had Wizard of Oz. I had Fantasia. I was like, no. I just don't even... Getting the chance to read out half these synopses. So, so there's probably some people out there just like, what the hell is the last unicorn? <laughs> to be fair, be- before this, it's another rank and bass production. That's what I need to know. I did think before this one, I was like, well, Sam has come on and he's said before, oh, I never do well at these things. I infamously don't do well at these things. So I was like, we've both got some. There's going to be a redemption here somewhere. <laughs> okay. Are we ready for the next one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This gorgeous German made film. About Bastian's journey through Fantasia. Oh, Toast. Yep. The never-ending story. It is the never-ending story. <laughs> Did not know that was German. No, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> There's like this another, era of another like last points. unicorn and never-ending story. I'm like, nope. I've never explored that. 90s, maybe. <laughs> okay. We ready? Yeah. The Don Bluth directed... Could be anything. Master. David? Just, yeah, why not? Secret of Nim. No. Oh. <laughs> Animation about Russia's... Toast. Sam? Anastasia? It's Anastasia. Oh. That, that could have been like six different movies. Yeah, I, I, that would have been my last choice if I would just go yeah, off the Yeah, me too, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, next one. I guess just the actual the source material is like weird maybe oh yeah that is dark yeah i uh, know specifically what they describe is uh <laughs> the dancing a, bugs in <laughs> uh the villainous rasputin who ended up trapped in a dark skull filled chamber of limbo preserved as a living corpse with eyes that would randomly fall out okay. that's why they thought it's like yeah pretty grim and the gremlins the the Green gremlin things as well. Uh, yeah, okay. Cool. It's not all I, I'm, dogs I'm gonna go to heaven. The ne- I'm going to skip the next one because that was gremlins. Uh, <laughs> I just it might be a bit too obvious. Damn, well, I, I could have known. I could have got that. It's that 10 points. Okay, ready for the next one? Yes. Yeah. The Mel Stewart directed... Gene Wilder starring... Oh, Toast. As- Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I knew I knew that name. David, speak up. <laughs> this like, is good. I'm enjoying this. Frankenstein? I was like, wait a <laughs> I love a quiz. Okay. We're nearing the end of the quiz. So at this point, I think it's just, wow. David, could you get on the board? Yeah, which often happens in these. Right. Next up. Directed by Jim Henson. Oh, uh, Master. Toast. Master. That was definitely David. The Dark Crystal. No! Oh. <laughs> what? Um, toast is that labyrinth. <laughs> <Fucking> labyrinth. <What? laughs> you had a 50 50 
shark. I disagree with that list. <laughs> I so disagree with that list. Well, I mean, at the moment, we're only I'm only on seventh of that list. Well, okay, but if there's a Jim Henson, you know, puppet one, and there's only one, I disagree. I don't think that might be. I don't think that's the case. Okay, are we ready <laughs> yes, for the I next the one? Jim Henson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready. Yeah. Another Don Bluth film. Master. David. Again, I may as well. It's I'm at this stage. Secret in him. Nope. Uh, <laughs> a film about death, revenge, heaven, and hell. Toast. All dogs go to heaven. Yes, all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> Next up, the film adaptation of Robert C. O'Brien's award-winning book, Master. David. I was going to take a chance that this is Watership Down. Nope, it is uh, not Watership Down. Uh, damn it. I was like, I don't know this guy's name, but I know it's obviously... I, I, I know who wrote it. I'm not going to mention it in case right. it comes up. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because unfortunately, the next line also, if you had heard this, but you definitely wouldn't have answered that. Because the next part is, was another Don Bluth? Oh. It's the story of... Master... David? The secret of him. <laughs> He's is, on yeah. the board! Yeah. He's like, on the board! Surely it has to be this by now. I was, I like, was trying to think a... what's based on the book, and yeah. it is, yeah. I was like, and I, was like I feel like Mice Mrs. is coming Brisby. up here. Mice is coming. And, uh, trivia, trivia, trivia. Um, I'm going to save that loss. In the, the actual book is called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, but they changed it to Mrs. Brisbee for the movie so that they didn't get sued by Frisbee, the toy company. Wow. There we go. Ah, interesting. <laughs> it's not worth any points, but I, I made a contribution that, to that, that one. That should also be our trivia klaxon in the future. Trivia, trivia, <laughs> trivia. <laughs> okay. So we're left with two now. So let's see how we do. Next up. Aside from being one of the darkest children's movies of all time, the Frank Oz... Uh, master toast David that is definitely David yeah it was Frank Oz yeah Dark Crystal he's done it again yeah. it is Dark Crystal yeah so there David you were you were moaning about it not being on the list it's higher ranked than Labyrinth okay I'm happy oh this then. is this is ranked yeah this I didn't know yeah, so I've, li- I've literally been reading out random extracts but basically going down the list so okay basically we're closest we're closer to the darkest so this is Pierce Magazine's number one darkest children's movie the one that I'm about to be describing now okay. yes yeah okay are that we helps. ready for our final question pressure's on yeah you, you say that you've lost David well so. I mean in terms of like <laughs> what is the top one okay this is the most terrifying movie I watched as a child. Toast. It's surely Watership Down. You would be correct. Yeah, yeah. It is. But then Pinocchio Another... is still out there. It hasn't been mentioned. And and yet Pinocchio was not on the list at all. Yeah. Darker than... So Snow White was on there. Pinocchio is worse than Snow White, yeah, definitely. So just, to, just to tell everyone, because obviously I skipped out a few entries, here is the entire list. 20, where the wild things are. 19, Alice in Wonderland. 18, Snow White. 17, The Wizard of Oz. 16, Return to Oz. 15, Fantasia. I was like, this isn't Return to Oz, is it? (laughs) That would be good. 14, The Hobbit. 13, Winnie the Pooh, The Blustery Day. 
12 the last unicorn 10 the never-ending story no sorry 11 the never-ending story 10 anastasia 9 willy wonka and the chocolate factory 8 gremlins 7 labyrinth 6 all dogs go to heaven 5 Coraline. 4 the secret of nim 3 the brave little toaster oh really yeah, so high up in someone's heart. Uh, two, the Dark Crystal, and one, Watership Down. Of course. So thank you very much to Paste for that list. But in the end, I'm sure we're all dying to know uh, <laughs> the, the final scores, and by that, how badly David lost this. <laughs> so David, your final score was seven. A respectable score in any other game, I'll point out. Yep. <laughs> and losing to 45. Wow. Uh, the winner is... <laughs> Is that like one of the highest scores ever? Because usually it is just a one-point system. Yes, wow. it, that is probably the there highest score on You are record. redeemed for all your previous <laughs> Well done. So how well do you done. feel? I feel pretty good. I love a quiz, man. I love a quiz. Um, that That's a great quiz. That that worked. I disagree with some of the contents of the list, but um, I'm happy with that as a format. I'm glad that... I at least got Dark Crystal, and I'm glad that I didn't take a Winnie the Pooh win away from you, Sam, because I know how much <laughs> that film means to you as well. So Winnie the Pooh and the blustery day, man. That's that's what threw me. But actually respect to Pierced for separating that out from the rest of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, because it is the only one that's really scary. True. Um, but the Mr. Dumbo was Dumbo on the list. No, Dumbo was not on the list. If you if you've got Heffalumps and Woozles, you need Pink Elephants on Parade because it was first and it's scarier. And the rest of Dumbo is way worse than uh, the rest yeah. of Winnie the Pooh. I'm not going to... No, stop. I'm done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I would describe, yeah, Dumbo as, like, traumatic. Yeah, it's like Pinocchio, Fox and the Hound. There, there could be so many yeah. in there, kind of, you know. So. Black, Black Cauldron wasn't on there. Black Cauldron's easily the darkest Disney movie. Is there any thoughts, Sam, early ideas of what you would maybe suggest? Not at all. I'm going to spend some time on it. It will be animation-related. Uh, or maybe, maybe it won't. I've come up, sometimes I do come up with quiz rounds in my head, and I don't usually write them down because I don't host a quiz. But um, I might see if I can dredge one up. Uh, yeah, I will, I will get to you on that, yeah. Awesome. Right, well, yeah, it feels weird to not be like, right, our next film and me like researching where you can watch it and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it's been fantastic talking about The Brave Little Toaster. Obviously, if you do want to check out that film and you've just listened to our thoughts about it, as we've already established, you can only find it on bootleg DVDs or weird versions of it. Um, it is on YouTube. It, it is on yeah, YouTube. Let's be fair. Oh, right. Okay, Disney fair doesn't enough. want, you know, if they don't want us to watch it on Disney Plus, then, you know, I can't. Wait, is I it on YouTube it. and it's original aspect ratio? Because I need to get on that if so. <laughs> yeah. You, you like watch it and then you're like, this should have gone in the movie vault. Now I can see what's on the right and left of this film. It's opened up a new world. But yeah, thank you for joining us, Sam. Uh, obviously, you, uh, as you mentioned earlier, have had lots going on and uh, you just had a massive. Uh, era you've just gone through on Disneyversity in terms of going through some of the biggest Disney films of all time so please do catch us up on what have you guys been up to what have you got coming up and yeah what would you like to shout out what socials which could be extinct in two weeks time to get <laughs> you on um, yeah that is true we have just done what is known as the Disney Renaissance era um, so we break our show up into kind of loose seasons based on different eras of Disney animation. We've just done the Renaissance, which is effectively the 1990s. It's Little Mermaid through to Fantasia 2000, which includes, okay, let's just, it's Little Mermaid, Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, 
Mulan, Tarzan, Fantasia 2000. So for people of our generation, those are the Disney movies we grew up on. Those are the ones you've probably got the fondest memories for and they're generally some of the best movies that I've ever put out. It's an amazing run of sustained quality. Uh, so if you have not listened to Disneyversity, now is a good chance because there's a likelihood we've covered your favourite Disney movie. If we haven't covered your favourite Disney movie by now, I'm very intrigued as to what your favourite <laughs> Disney movie is. So we are about to launch into our next season hopefully in the next couple of weeks, which we're calling The Wilderness Years, uh, which kicks off with Dinosaur into The Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, Lilo and Stitch, maybe that's someone's favourite, Treasure Planet, and uh, others, Chicken Little, eventually. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> oh, my favourite. I'm joking. I am joking. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, yeah, so they, we've. if you are looking for an episode to start on you're probably going to find it in that most recent run. So do check out Disneyversity if you haven't already. And to tie in chronologically with looking at Disney's entry into the 21st century, we've also recently announced a live show at the London Podcast Festival at King's Place on Saturday 9th of September, where we are covering as I have already done on this podcast to an extent, the movie Shrek. So it's not a Disney movie, but it is part of the Disney story in several key ways. It's producers had come from Disney and it would have a huge impact on the movies that Disney would produce over the next 10 years. So it's a big part of the Disney story and we're really looking forward to talking about it. We'll have a great time. And of course, Shrek is my academic specialist subject, really. So if you want to see me talk about that live with Ben Travis, King's Place, Saturday, 9th of September. It's on kingsplace.co.uk. Hopefully I can see some of you guys there. Um, yes, that's pretty much it. So Disneyversity, as always, spelt D-I-S-N-I-versity, not N-E-Y as in Disney. Um, and we are... Disneyversity podcast on Twitter and I am Sam Summers and then the number zero on Twitter, Sam Summers zero. Sorry, pardon me, X. Yeah. Rolls eyes into the back of heads. I actually was almost sick the other day when I typed in www.x.com and it took me to Twitter and I was like, oh, it actually is the URL. And to be clear, I wasn't going on any dodgy website or something when I was searching that. But... It's not porn. <laughs> www.x.com. And yeah. that's really particularly unhelpful for me because there is a female porn star called Sam Summers. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so if I'm saying search for Sam Summers on x.com, that's <laughs> That that's that's very different from searching for Sam Summers on on xvideos.com, for example. It's I was just searching it up because I was like the just visually, you know, www.x. I was like, that just looks horrible. You can't really do that. And then I typed in. I was like, no, yeah, it, it goes to Twitter. That's 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 a, a, that's bizarre. So yeah, definitely go check out Disneyversity. When you were mentioning films there, Sam uh, Hunchback was also another one. And I was like, that could be on that list as well. You know, considering the dark things that are going on in true, that movie. True, true. And I'd very much recommend people go check out the podcast. If nothing else, then for your reaction to the Pete. Uh, journey that you and Ben have been going on recently, who's uh, the Disney character with Mickey, etc. That was very fun when I heard that. Yeah. So, N- uh, Mickey Mouse's nemesis, Pete, uh, <laughs> who Ben initially had no idea who he was, and he just gradually keeps popping up in random places <laughs> as you go through um, <laughs> to the point where, well, I'll not spoil where it goes, but yeah, our, 
our interactions with Pete are always a good laugh. Yeah. Um, he doesn't pop up in Shrek, unlike a lot of other Disney characters, so I don't know if he'll make an appearance at the live show, but he might. Well, I respected the attention to Goofy Movie, because I also, you know, class that as, you know, in the days of me picking up VHS is like Brave Phil Toaster. I meant, you know, Goofy Movie had some great memories about, which also has a great soundtrack like, like this film, so... That's, that was a fun bonus episode you guys did. So, yeah, go check out Disneyversity. Thank you again, Sam, for coming on. It's been a pleasure, and we look forward to your recommendation for our Endgame special, which we'll be celebrating 100 episodes. And obviously, this is, you know, in the build-up to that, so we're f- glad that we finally got to discuss this movie. Unfortunately, it didn't make it into the movie vault, but we've made <laughs> lots of memories and talked about its legacy. Nonetheless, <laughs> is now the best time to ask Craig anything <laughs> to add? Run! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a bit terrifying. <laughs> right, thank you everyone. Uh, have a good time. Go check out Brave Little Toast if you can on YouTube, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye! To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. You've happily discarded because it doesn't match the up-to-date technology that you're using. You are part of the problem. You're you're actually a disgusting human being. I'm the cutting edge song, basically. I would be in that that song.